0: listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. The scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, the first chapter Uh, and I'll be reading verses 1, 2, and 3. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. That was a bit shorter than normal, huh? (laughs) Thank you, Jim, for that reading. So, uh, we are starting a brand new teaching series today. I am excited. Uh, The Gospel According to Mark. Uh, And if you couldn't tell by that reading that Jim just shared for us, uh, we're going to be taking our time with this one. Uh, If you were around for the summer, you know that we just wrapped up a a study on the book of Leviticus, which was a lot of fun, Um, but with, well, I thought it was fun, Uh, but with Leviticus, um, we focused on large sections of the book. Some weeks, uh, we would cover like a chapter or more in a single sermon. Uh, We're going to take a different approach with the Gospel of Mark. We're going to take our time here. We're going to move through Mark's gospel much more slowly and deliberately um, to really go for depth and try to suck the marrow out of Mark's version of the Jesus story. Uh, We have a lot to cover today in terms of introduction. Uh, This is going to be a sermon that you'll want to have your thinking caps on for. There's going to be a lot of information, uh, but also some good application by the end. Um, Let's say a prayer, uh, and then we'll dive in. God, we ask for clarity and wisdom. As we begin this new series on the Gospel of Mark, help us to understand Mark's story of Jesus, what it meant for the first Christians who heard this message, and the power it still has for us today. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, who's ready for some background? I think I think it's oh, a few of us good that's awesome. I think it's important. It's important to cover some background as we dig into this text because this is the gospel, right? Like this is the Jesus story. This is a big deal for us. Um, so let's talk about this. Um, talk about the Gospel of Mark. There are a lot of different gospels out there, right? Like hopefully you're aware that there's there's more than one. Um, we have four gospels just in our Bibles, right? The Gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you've ever watched like the History Channel or anything like that, especially around you know, Christmas and Easter, it seems, you're probably aware that there are other Gospels out there, too, that aren't in our Bibles. It's like every decade or two, um, you know, archeologists unearth some new lost Gospel, you know, the, the, the Gospel of Frank, <laughs> you know, Jesus' barber, or whatever. These like, like, come out every once in a while. So why Mark? Why now? Why focus on Mark's gospel when there are so many other gospels to choose from? What makes Mark unique, special, different from all the others? The first thing to be aware of is this is actually the earliest story we have about the life of Jesus. The gospel of Mark was written first. Now, a lot of people assume that Matthew came first because it comes first in the New Testament, right? It's it's the first book in the New Testament. But most scholars today now believe that Mark's gospel was actually earlier. He was the first one to write down the story of Jesus. The main way we know that is that the other gospel writers borrowed from Mark. Something like uh, 80% of the content in Mark's gospel shows up in the gospels of Matthew and Luke. And we're talking like word for word the same, right down to the letter. Now, it's also important to note, though, plagiarism was not a thing yet, all right? That that category didn't really exist. When I was um, a college professor, if some student turned in a paper that like 80% of it came from another student's paper, that would have been a big deal. You'd get kicked out of school for that. Um, Not so much in the ancient world. It was normal back then to incorporate other sources. If you wanted to tell a story and someone else already told it, it was normal to take theirs and add your own flair, which is what the other gospel writers seem to have done with Mark. So Mark came first. You're also gonna notice as we go through this study that Mark's gospel is very raw. It's fast-paced. There's this energy to it. It's like Mark just can't get the words out of his mouth fast enough. Jesus is here, then he's over there, then there's some stuff happening over here, and so Jesus has to go this way. Mark's gospel is much less polished than the other accounts of Jesus's life that came a bit later. And that actually brings up the question of timing. When was this book written? Jesus uh, lived and did his thing around the year 30, So when do you think this first written account of Jesus' story got written down? Are there any guesses? Anyone want to, like, throw out a date? You said 60? Oh, you said 40. Okay, 40. Do I hear 50? uh, 60? Some people are saying 60. Do I hear 1973? No, that'd be too late. Big grain of salt before I try to answer this. Um, It's important to know any time we try to date books of the Bible, we're guessing, okay? Keep that in mind. The biblical authors did not date their writing. It would have been really cool if Mark had been like, you know, as I write this account in the year 63. Like, that would have been amazing, but he doesn't do that. So we have to make an educated guess. And most scholars—oh, they put it up there already, didn't they? Gary. It's all right. Scholarly consensus— is that the Gospel of Mark was written sometime in the late 60s of the first century. So we're talking 35 to 40 years after the time of Jesus. Now, if that sounds like a big gap, if that makes you a little uncomfortable, uh, let me remind you that 35 years ago was 1986. (laughs) Now, I don't remember 1986, because I was a baby. But I bet there's some people in here... (laughs) That if we needed you to tell an account of something that happened to you in 1986, you could probably do a fair job. So we shouldn't be alarmed by this gap. That date, though, the late 60s, it's not just a stab in the dark. Uh, There are a few reasons for this guess. Um, One is that we wouldn't expect to see a written account of Jesus's story much earlier than this. Remember, we're talking about a largely illiterate culture. It's estimated that only about 10% of the people back then could read. So if you want to pass a story along, you don't write it down. That's not how you get the word out. You tell it orally. They would have told the story. And it's normal. We don't generally see a lot of historical accounts written down in the ancient world until about 30 to 40 years after the fact. Because by then, there are less and less people left who remember the story, the witnesses. After a few decades, that's when you write down their story to preserve it. So the late 60s is about what we'd expect. It also helps, though, that there were some big events happening in the world at that time. Um, The biggest was probably the destruction of the temple in the year 70. Um, The late 60s, right around the time this gospel was most likely written, uh, there was a violent revolution going on in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. You had armed Jewish freedom fighters trying to push out the Romans. And that war ended with the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in the year 70. Here's why that's important. Mark doesn't seem to know about this yet. There are all sorts of hints and clues that Mark is writing before the fall of the temple. We don't have time to get into like all the nuances and stuff now, but know that most scholars think he's writing before this happened. Which puts Mark's gospel in an incredibly tumultuous time. The late 60s was a weird time to be a Christian in the Roman Empire. Probably late 60s for some of us too. But, but late 60s of the first century was a weird time to be a Christian. You were following this new religion, this strange little sect of Judaism, at a time when Romans and Jews were at war. You had all these different tribes, all these different sides, vying for your allegiance. If you were Jewish and a Christian, well, you were a sellout. You're following an impure offshoot of the faith at a time when your people need you. And if you were a Gentile and a Christian, if you were a Roman, you are part of a seditious religion that at least parts of it are waging war against the empire. It's in that context that we get Mark's version of the Jesus story, the gospel according to Mark. Of course, the title of this book, The Gospel According to Mark, that brings up two more questions. Who's Mark? And what's a gospel? Right? Anyone? Anyone find themselves thinking that? Just me? Some of us. Okay, let's talk about that. Let's let's do the first one first. Um, who's Mark? Let's start with him. Who is Mark? A lot of people think he was a disciple of Jesus. He was not one of the twelve disciples. Mark is not listed there. Um, Mark's a relatively minor character in the Bible. We don't know much about him. Uh, he's not mentioned at all in the Gospels. And he, we don't actually meet him until the book of Acts, which is about what happened to the early church after Jesus ascended into heaven. And he's a young leader in the church who works really closely with Paul and then later with Peter. That's Mark. Mark was Jewish, but his name is Roman, which is interesting. We don't know a lot about his family, But that could mean that he had a Jewish mother and a Roman father. It could also mean, another theory out there, is that he was part of a wealthy Jewish family that were Roman citizens. Either way, you get this sense that Mark is living at the crossroads of all these competing identities and ideologies. Jewish heritage, Roman citizenship, follower of Jesus. Who are you going to be faithful to? Who do you ultimately owe your allegiance to? That's the question that's at the forefront of Mark's gospel. And to dig into that a little bit more, let's talk about what we mean by the word gospel. What is a gospel? Like, what does that word mean? Is it a style of music? (laughs) Are, Are we talking about like a like a, a conversion tactic, like like here are the things you have to believe. Here's the prayer you have to pray to go to hell. Is that is that what gospel is? When we talk about um, gospels in the Bible, a lot of us just assume it's like a biography, right? So like a biography of Jesus is a gospel. Um, but if if that's the case, Mark's gospel is a really strange biography. There's no account of Jesus's childhood. Nothing about his birth or his formative years. Mark's story of Jesus starts when Jesus is about 30. It follows his ministry for a couple years, and then he dies. And about a third of the real estate, a third of the space in Mark's gospel, focuses on the final week of his life. That's a really weird biography. The word gospel uh, is actually our translation of the Greek word euangelion. Let me hear you all say euangelion. Excellent. That's a hard one. That's really good pronunciation. Evangelion. Evangelion literally means good news. And we actually find the word Evangelion right in the opening line of the book. The beginning of the Evangelion, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Why would Mark call his story of Jesus good news? I'm going to throw out a few reasons. <clears throat> First, think about everything that was happening in the world at that time. Division, war, polarization, violence. It wasn't that different from a lot of what we see today. I don't know about you, but like, I could use some good news. I could use some hope. That would be nice. Maybe you've endured some kind of loss or trauma. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you've got family members who are no longer speaking to you. In a world like that, that is so divided, so contentious, Mark calls his story of Jesus the good news because it brings hope. Right in the beginning of Mark's gospel, we get two quotes from the Old Testament strung together. Um, they're from the prophets Malachi and Isaiah. We'll read that part again. Um, it starts in the middle of verse 2. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, or your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. We probably read that line, it means nothing to us, right? Like, maybe if you know the story, you associate this with John the Baptist, um, or maybe you remember this from, like, verses we hear read along, around Christmas, maybe? But in the Jewish religion, these were well-known lines, and they were lines of hope. These lines were written by the prophets at times when everything seemed lost. When it looked like the story was over and God had given up on God's people. That's when the prophets would emerge and declare the good news that the story isn't over. God's story is still being written, and we are invited to participate. Maybe you're in a place, for some reason, that you feel like God has closed the book on you. Maybe you feel like God's abandoned you, like your story is over. But the good news is that your story is still being written. God's not through with you yet. The arrival of Jesus marks a new chapter in the story of God, and it's a story that we are invited to participate in. See, I have this theory <clears throat> that there are two kinds of stories out there. There's stories that create spectators, and there's stories that create specactors, <laughs> I know, I know that's not a word. Just go with it. Spectators and spec-actors. There are stories that make spectators. Stories that exist to entertain us, for escapism, for our enjoyment. But then there are stories that turn us into actors. Stories that grab a hold of us and suck us in. Have you ever been like so engrossed in a movie or in like, a good book that you become part of the story? It's like it's happening to you? This happens to me whenever I watch Back to the Future. I've seen that movie a million times, but I swear, as soon as we hit play, I am Marty McFly. That's being a actor. <laughs> That's the kind of story that the gospel is supposed to be. Can I offer a confession, though? Most of the time when I read the Bible, I'm a tater. I'm a potato. No, I'm a spectator, right? Most of the time when I read the Bible, I am not an actor in the story. I'm a spectator. I'm an observer. For most of my life, the Bible has existed as this thing to be studied and analyzed, to be, like, picked apart and understood. I think a number of us have the same problem at our church. That's probably why I'm your pastor. (sighs) We are a church full of Bible geeks. We really like to study the Bible at this church. We like to learn about the Bible, but from a distance sometimes. See, to be a spectator is to read the Bible for information. But to be an actor in this story means you read it for transformation. The Gospel of Mark was written to transform us. So why does Mark call his story of Jesus good news? It brings hope. It invites our participation. And there's one more element I want to unpack. But to understand this one, you've got to know a little something about life in ancient Rome. Mark didn't invent the word euangelion. It was a really well-known word, a really well-known concept. Euangelion, good news in in the ancient Roman world. In Rome, the term euangelion... Next slide, Gary. One more. There we are. There's euangelion. In ancient Rome, this word, good news, was used in political propaganda. Whenever there was good news about the empire, the Romans would issue a euangelion to announce it. Uh, If Rome was victorious in battle... They put out a Uangelion to announce the good news. Um, Whenever a son was born to the emperor, uh, a Uangelion would be decreed declaring that this child is a son of the gods. And when the emperor died, there'd be a Uangelion issued reaffirming his divinity and declaring that the emperor had ascended to take his seat at the right hand of the gods. How does this gospel start again? What's the opening line of this book? The beginning of the Evangelion of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark begins his gospel by announcing the good news of a rival king, the Son of God. That was a pretty dangerous thing to do at the time, I imagine. Rome is at war. People are dying, and Mark starts his gospel by announcing the good news of a different king, a king who died on a Roman cross. This is why whenever someone's like, Pastor, why don't you just stop being political and stick to the gospel? I have to laugh if you only knew what you were saying. The term gospel is inherently political. Mark is presenting his story of Jesus as rival propaganda to that of the empire. And it all kind of makes sense if you think about how this story goes, right? Like, by the end of this thing, Jesus is going to die on a Roman cross. Spoilers. (laughs) Don't want to ruin it for you. And the Romans didn't kill Jesus for being a nice guy who healed people, right? Jesus was killed... Because he had the audacity to announce the good news of a rival kingdom, the kingdom of God. Who are you going to follow? Where does your allegiance lie? You can't be a very good follower of Jesus and engage in the violent practices of empire. It's really hard to do. It's also hard to be a good follower of Jesus and align yourself with the violent forces that are trying to overthrow the empire. Neither of those looks much like Jesus. We live in a time when the dividing lines are being drawn every day over everything. Are you with us or against us? We have managed in this country to politicize a pandemic, which is nuts, by the way. I went to a Brockport School Board meeting last month, and you had parents screaming at each other over masks. One parent said that masks are socialism, and then proceeded to challenge one of the school board members to meet them in the parking lot afterwards, like, for a fight. I'm not making this up. I mentioned I was at the monument yesterday, and I remember, I I mentioned this during the prayer, I was 16 years old on September 11th. But I remember watching on TV that night as all these politicians, all these leaders from from both parties saying God bless America together on the steps of the Capitol. Those days are gone. That brief flicker of unity has already been replaced by are you with us or against us? Choose a side. But the gospel of Jesus challenges any side. It challenges any tribe or ideology that can claim our allegiance. That's what makes this story so dangerous. As we arc our way through the Gospel of Mark, we are going to be confronted with a depiction of Jesus that is going to challenge us, it's going to inspire us, it's going to give us hope, sometimes at the same time. And my prayer for all of us, myself included, is that as we go through this book together, we'd be transformed that we would be called to a deeper level of discipleship, that we'd come away with the series from a renewed sense of hope, trust, and allegiance to Christ and his kingdom. This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let's pray. God, we ask that you'd be with us. Guide us over these next several months as we do a deep dive into this oldest of the Jesus stories. Stir our hearts, Lord. Open our eyes and our ears enliven us by your spirit to be challenged, to find hope, and to be transformed by this text. Don't let us be spectators of the gospel, Lord. But use this text to move us toward action and toward greater faithfulness to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist on Twitter, at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.